0: From the number one best-selling author of Life Rescripted, you're now tuning in to the Year of Purpose podcast. I'm and Moses Blacksburg. So I've got Paul Jarvis here, and he's worked with companies like Microsoft, Yahoo, MTV, and entrepreneurs that you've probably heard of that run massive digital empires like Daniel Laporte, uh, Alexandra Franzen, Marie Forleo, and Chris Carr. He spent 20 years learning how to make a living as a creative, and he's still learning. And one of the coolest things is that he's actually, he lives in the woods right now on, on an island with his wife. So thanks for being here today, Paul. and uh, super cool about where you live. So I want to hear about that in just a minute.
1: Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Seth. This is, uh, this is awesome. I I sound so fancy with that (laughs) introduction.
0: (laughs) It's I've got to talk it up a little bit. I mean, not everybody gets to live on an Island, so you're already like a step ahead of so many people. (laughs) So let's like let's rewind let's find out like how did you become this guy who's just creating really awesome stuff and where did your you know original aspirations for doing really cool things come about
1: So I had no aspirations to do really cool things it just kind of <laughs> it just kind of happened so I was in I did well in school so I went to university at good university and then I did that for a year and then I realized like I was kind of following the dreams and goals of other people. So I was, hmm, maybe I don't want to do this. So I quit and I told my dean of computer science and he was like, well, two things are going to happen, Paul, young man or something like that. He was a dean, so I'm sure he said young man. And he was like, the first is that you are going to regret it. And the second is that you're going to be back, but you're going to be older and it's going to take longer for you to learn things. And I was like, "Okay, that's fine. I'm still (laughs) quitting, but. So then I got a job working at an agency doing design and again I did that for about a year and then I realized it wasn't for me so I quit and I actually became uh, I guess a freelancer or entrepreneur or whatever working for myself by accident because I was going to go find another job but... I started to get calls from the clients of that agency the day after I quit. And they were like, hey, where are you going to go, Paul? Because we'll just bring our business with you. And then I probably got like three or four calls like that. And I was like, little light bulb, like maybe I could work for myself. And that was in the 90s. So it it stuck.
0: I think sometimes we kind of miss out on those little clues, you know, if we're not in tune with what's going on around us. Like I definitely had a chance where the first company I worked for out of college I worked there for, like, a year and a half, and then the company was sold, and I had this three-month time span in between working there and at my next job where I was freelancing, but, like, nothing, it didn't click. Like, you know, I'm making money, I'm I'm working for clients on my own time, and, like, how did this not click? Your company you worked for before that taught entrepreneurs how to run better businesses, and it, like... (laughs) I just didn't think to put that into place. So I feel like a lot of people are probably running around living their lives in a way where it's just not clicking, like they're missing out on the hints. Is that something that you think, uh, you know, we could change? I mean, is is that a mindset? Is that, you know, what's got to happen for people to see those things as they're happening and say, oh, this is an opportunity. I need to do something here.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of that comes down to a very scary word, introspection, <laughs> because I, a lot of times we're so busy and we feel, we're, we're busy on purpose. So we fill our lives with stuff, like waiting in line. We have to pull out our little tiny pocket device and like check Instagram or Twitter. And we don't give ourselves space to think. We don't give ourselves space to let our minds wander. Even in like I've seen people with televisions in the shower. Like, it's just, it boggles my mind. Like, there's no there's no room for you to think about things, for you to pay attention to hints that your life is giving you, to see if what you're doing is right for you, instead of just, like, refreshing feeds or, or watching TV or that sort of thing. So it's, I don't know, I think it's, a, a lot of it's just paying attention. And it's hard, it's very, very hard to do. It's actually reading a study Last week or the week before where this university wanted to see if people would rather sit alone with their thoughts or be shocked and I think it was something like twelve out of eighteen men would rather be favored shocking themselves to just sitting there doing nothing for women, I think it was more like six out of eighteen so I, women I think are obviously a bit smarter than men right but it was it's for day like when you think about how ridiculous that is like you would rather receive an electric shock than be alone with your thoughts I think there's there's, there's something that we need to pay attention to in our society when that's the case.
0: Yeah, I mean, talking about the TV in the shower, that actually reminds me of back when I was a kid. We used to have this place here in the Baltimore Inner Harbor called the ESPN Zone. And basically, it's like an arcade place, but it also had a bar, and you could watch the sports games. But when you go to the bathroom right in front of the urinal there's a tv screen and i'm like are we really that terrible that like we can't miss a second of the basketball game that we have to see it when we're going to the bathroom and we can't take you know 90 seconds away from what was going on in our life for just a little bit of peace and quiet
1: all of the screens all of the time.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a huge problem and I don't think that it's something that's going to go away unless we start retraining ourselves and making those habits and putting stuff into place. You know, as it's been getting warmer here, springtime's coming out now. I make it a point to eat my breakfast out on our deck outside, get some sunlight in. A lot of my work is done inside. I don't get that vitamin D. So if I can sit outside for 45 minutes in the morning, it makes a huge difference in the rest of my day. And it's, you know, my time, whether I want to catch up on podcasts or sit there in silence and do nothing.
1: Yeah, it's, um, I, I'd like to, it's hard to find things that aren't screen related. So I'm similar like i have a garden and i grow my own food because i don't have a screen like i'm not looking at a screen unless i had to google something before cuz i'm not that good at gardening so i mean that kind of happens but yeah like i don't have i don't have notifications on my phone or on any of my computers i think the only time my phone beeps is if somebody's calling which I don't remember the last time that happened. Like, I really, unless I'm working with contractors or trades, I don't. Nobody needs to call me for any reason whatsoever. So I only have to look at my screens when I know that's what I'm doing. So I don't know if I'm getting emails or tweets or anything, unless I'm actually in email or in Twitter, which there, I think helps.
0: Was there ever a time where the thought of, you know having your phone silenced scared you? Like was there ever a point in time where you are just like I have to be connected if if I'm disconnected like vacation is almost going to be ruined just because you know I'm trying <laughs> to stay away from my phone?
1: Definitely. Like it was I'm I'm a big fan of experimenting with my own life, so doing things like not buying um, anything for a year other than gas and food or turning off all notifications. So the notifications one, I think I did about 3 years ago and I tried it for a month. And then at the, the first few days was so scary and I felt like I'm going to miss everything that ever is going to happen in the entire world. My business is going to fail. I'm not going to be able to keep up with friends. And then at like the 29th and the 30th day, I was like maybe I don't ever want to turn notifications back on. And I I didn't. So it was... Even when I... Because I leave social... I take, like, social media sabbaticals, I guess you could call them, where I don't use social for a couple months. And the first few days, it's hard because it's, like, retraining your brain that you don't need to look at Twitter or Instagram. But then by the end of it, it's like, I can't imagine getting all that stuff done that I just got done, and now I have to look at social again. It's like, it becomes... It becomes weird when at the beginning it's like, I can't believe I'm giving this up. And then at the end it's like, I can't believe the possibility of going back is there because I don't want to.
0: Yeah, I took my first social media and really just technology sabbatical uh, last year. I started easy. I just did a four day thing. I was on a rowing trip with our rowing club. So we had like this really awesome bed and breakfast place in the middle of nowhere, no internet connection, cell phone reception kind of sucked anyways. And I turned my phone off for four days straight. And I thought I was going to lose it because you know, the <laughs> phantom vibrations where like your pocket yep. vibrates and you think you have to like reach for your phone. And then you realize your phone <laughs> wasn't even in your pocket in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. So i I know what that's like, and by the end of it, though, I definitely, even just in four days, realized the value in, uh, like, right now, I keep my phone on do not disturb throughout the day, because if someone Mm -hmm. really needs to call me, chances are they're on my favorites list, and it's, you know, a relative, a family member, and it's usually for an emergency. Like, they really do need to get in touch with me, Mm -hmm. and i found that so many things that we would classify as needing attention right away really don't. And the world still ends up spinning and, you know, your day still keeps going.
1: Yeah, I think it's I think a lot of it comes down to it's hard to realize how bad the habit is until you stop for a little bit. Like you don't realize how much you're on your phone or on social media until you take a break from it. And then you realize, like, what am I going to do with these four hours (laughs) of the day that I didn't have yesterday? Because I was on. So because it feels like work, especially for people like us that work online, it feels like we're working. Like, if I'm on Twitter and I'm answering questions about a course, it's, it feels like working, and it kind of is, but it's like, I could probably, if I just did that for, like, 50 minutes a day, I probably wouldn't need to just keep refreshing it for hours a day. If I just went on, did the stuff, and then left, it it always seems to be a bit more productive and a bit more mindful of um of usage instead of just, like on all the time
0: yeah totally and so it sounds like you're a guy who loves to give himself certain challenges to explore you know how you're going to change as a person how the world around you is going to change you had mentioned that you did uh, an experiment to buy nothing for was it a whole year i'd like to hear a little bit more about (laughs) this and like what originally gave you the idea uh what was it that you know what were your restrictions and how did that turn out for you
1: Yeah. So that was, it was actually when we live fairly remote now is when we lived even more remote. We lived about three hours further away from civilization and we had just moved there and we were in the process of selling our condo in Vancouver and a real estate agent was like, this'll sell faster if it's staged. So we left everything in Vancouver and we moved to the island and we brought with us, I think like a couple camping chairs, a blow up mattress and some camping dishes. And like, that's all we had for six months. And we were like, this isn't actually all that bad. Like it sucked because we didn't have a super comfy couch. But other than that, it wasn't really that bad. And then I was like, well, I, at the point of eliminating things seems to be, it's almost like an elimination diet. Like you don't know what your body reacts to unless you remove it from your diet for a few weeks and then slowly introduce it. it I started to think about, okay, well, what elimination diets can I do with stuff? Or what elimination diets can I do with buying things? And so the buying things was just that I felt like I'd, we already had everything that we needed other than like consumables, like food and, and rent and, and gas for the car. So it wasn't actually that difficult. One, the place that we lived, there's nothing to buy. Like there's a grocery store and a couple other like surfing stores and we already had like gear to surf, so there wasn't anything to buy. The only thing that was hard was that was a, about the time that I wrote my first book, and it was a cookbook, and I had like camping plates, so photos of camping plates, and <laughs> like it wasn't a camping cookbook, so it didn't really work. But then you realize that there's you have more resources at your disposal other than just like blindly buying things. So I I realized that I was a friend of a chef that worked at a five star restaurant in the town, and I ended up borrowing probably like 30 or 40 plates all this nice color (laughs) so I ended up just borrowing stuff from their kitchen that they weren't going to miss for a day I built the light box myself I traded the photographer all of the food that I made for her taking all of the photos so I ended up even with the book that I had to write where I had even like legitimate business expenses I was still I can do this I don't have to buy anything I can do this and I did
0: that's really cool and so just to like give people a better picture when you say you live on an island does this mean that like it's just you guys does this mean there's a hundred people like what are we picturing here
1: so there's probably i don't know there's maybe a million people on the island so it's like a fairly big island but people are spread out and mostly at the bottom uh, it's like south island because it's a it's a it's a huge island like it it goes really really tall and and probably a few it's probably 12 hours to drive to the top from the bottom and two or three hours to drive across it. So it's quite a big island. But people are fairly spread out. Like, where I live, everybody lives on a few acres. So it's like we can see one neighbor, and that's it. But there are people here. There is a community, but, like, you don't really see them unless you want to see them.
0: So what's it like to... I mean, I don't necessarily know what your neighborhood said it was like before, but did you guys transition to a place where, you know, where I live right now, I'm in a townhouse. If I walk out my front door and take eight steps, there's another townhouse. If I take eight more steps, you know, there's, there's probably a neighborhood of easily, uh, you know, 120, 150 houses here. Uh, You know, I would love to have to look a little ways to see my next door neighbor, but what's it like to not exactly have friends over for dinner every night i mean is it a lonely sort of environment now how has that changed for you guys just with interaction
1: yeah that's a good question and we moved from living at the busiest intersection in vancouver which is i think the second or third biggest city in canada and we lived in a condo on probably the ninth or tenth floor like at, at like literally at the busiest intersection. And then we moved to the island and moved to a town of about 1,000 people. And what we found, it is very, it can be very isolating. And I think it's good because it forces, the, it forces the lens back at yourself because there's just such a lack of stimulus. But what we also found was that the people that live there do really have, like living in Vancouver, there wasn't really a sense of community. It was just you live in the same city awesome. Whereas living kind of way out in the woods or living in very small towns, it's a massive sense of community because people that live there are fairly like similar and like-minded. So every we, my wife and I always used to joke that every five-minute errand would take about three or four hours because like you go to the store to get some soy milk, you run into somebody and I'm talking for 40 minutes. So there was definitely an adjustment, but it actually feels, and the same with where we live now, like I think there's about 1,300 residents. It's unincorporated land, so it's not really even a place. There's about 1,300 residents that live here, but my wife is on the fire department, so she's friends with the fire department. We've met all of our neighbors who are all senior citizens, but that's actually okay. So it does feel like there's a community, and it feels in some ways a bit more like a close-knit community, but it is still, like, unless you go out of your way to interact, there's there's nothing.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that's certainly a different type of lifestyle, but I feel like it really complements, you know, the challenges that you've taken on, whether that's cutting out technology for some period of time or really looking inside to see, you know, what's going on with yourself and learning and growing yourself. Um, I'm curious a little more about the business that you have running now. Uh, and, you know, I think a lot of people are asking, this is really cool to live on an island in the woods. And, you know, how do you connect with uh, clients and, and create a profitable business? Business to keep yourself up and running out there.
1: Yeah. And it was so where we used to live, it was hard only because the internet connection was awful. So I couldn't do things like video calls, which made it very difficult. The internet would go out all the time. Whereas now we have, we're only an hour from a city. So we have much better internet. We have a generator that when the power goes out, because it always goes out, I turn the power back on we're actually in the process of getting going solar as well so doing things like things like that are required but also the cost of living is about five times less than in the city so we can afford to get a generator or solar and we can afford to live in a house as opposed like if we were going to buy this house in vancouver i couldn't afford like a floor on that house so it it's kind of interesting but as far as the business goes all of my business is done on the internet. I can't remember the last time I met with anybody face to face. If I needed to, I could travel like if I felt like doing speaking gigs, I could easily travel like there is an an airport that flies pretty much to Vancouver or Seattle then to everywhere else. But I just find that I don't need it. Like I can exist on Skype and Google Hangouts and I can pretty much my business runs on digital products right now. So I can connect with my audience through my mailing list which doesn't require any kind of physical interaction. So it just it seems that the way the it, the internet is great because it's fostered that sort of the ability because 20 years ago I I would have to live in a city right. in order to to make money. Now I don't have to and I know so many people that live kind of far out from like any kind of business community but they're still able to make it work because the internet.
0: That's awesome. I mean, yeah. the internet's definitely opened up a really wide variety of things, and if you look at it, it's only been around for, you know, 15-20 years. Like this is yeah. still so new, and it's crazy to see how much it's evolved over time. I don't know if you've checked this out, but the Wayback Machine, if you yes. google it online, you <clears throat> can literally go back in time and see what the homepage of Google or App, or Apple's website looked like. And uh, it's crazy to see how much they've changed. And
1: yep, I've know. even looked at my own stuff. Like <laughs> I was starting a web design business in the '90s, and I can see like my very first homepage. It's That's so awesome. bad, but it's cool. Like it's it's good to look back at that and see like okay, there's some things that have kind of carried through, and some things that I don't know why I made those design decisions because <laughs> they were bad, so bad.
0: Man, that's funny. Yeah, I have. I guess I've probably had my website for eight years now, so it would be cool to see what it looked like when I first did it. I have an idea because for me it was like some pro- project in college. It was like my senior yeah. project and <laughs> uh, definitely came a long way since then. Kept the same domain name, though, so that's that's been fun. But, um, yeah, so this is really cool, and I'd like to hear about how have you been able to work with Uh, some of these big names, like what is it that you're working on with them? Is it you're creating the product or are you more of a design guy? Uh, Just to give people an idea of, you know, an opportunity for how they could run a business themselves. You know, there's so many options with online stuff. I was talking to a guy who just does social media and he builds people's Instagram lists. Um, You know, so everybody's got something different. I'd like to hear a little bit from you about what you've worked on.
1: Sure. So all of the client work that I've done has been design and development with a focus on business. So all the projects that I've done for those clients that you listed was just me doing web design and programming for them. And a lot of those opportunities came through niching down and really focusing on a single audience. So in the beginning, I did websites for pro sports athletes. And that was pretty much all I did, which is kind of cool but then if you know me you know I don't like sports so it was like the worst possible like I could not care less about sports so Jason Zilk always bugs me about that because he'll make a sports analogy and I'll be like "Mm -hmm." (laughs) so it's yeah I think it's great to niche down in terms of what you're offering clients but you can always change it up like so I started with pro sports then I started to work mostly with tech companies and that again wasn't that interesting, like it sounds cool that I worked for Microsoft or Yahoo or that. It just wasn't that interesting, like it just didn't float my boat. And then I found all of these people who were starting online businesses themselves and really interested in breaking molds. And it was mostly women, which I found really, really awesome. All of these women that I started to work with were more inclined to do things in a different way or try new things or take risks. And I was like, this is totally up my alley. Like This is this is what I like doing. This is interesting, really, really interesting work for me. So I started to focus on just working with people who were building online businesses. And it was mostly female entrepreneurs like Danielle Laporte and Marie Forleo, Chris Carr, Alex Franzen. And that sort of helped because when you niche down, it's easier to get other clients because you don't have to look for people on the entire internet. Like, I don't know how to market to the internet. It's it's too many people. But if you're focused on one specific audience, then you can build a name for yourself in that audience. And that's sort of what I did, where if people saw that I was the one who was helping build websites for, for these people, then they were much more likely to see my name at the bottom of the website. And that was really how... Initially, I built my business. I don't do client work anymore, but that was like the first 15 years of working for myself was all web design for specific niches at a, at a specific time.
0: Well, I think the, the big two keys there were certainly, you know, picking a group of people that you really want to work with or at least trying different other groups until you found one that really <laughs> clicked with you. Um, but then it also sounds like you had built up a pretty solid network of people that could easily refer you as, you know, their go-to person in in that particular industry so i think that that also is one of the big aspects to creating a really valuable business that just continues to churn in clients and bring in new people who just want to hire you
1: yeah and all business is about network it's about relationships like at any level like me getting work for microsoft was because i knew somebody at microsoft it's the only way i got that me working with some of those big entrepreneurs is because I got introduced to them by somebody else. It's all relationships and people kind of miss that point sometimes where even if it's like, well, I want to work with bigger clients. So now it's about something else. No, it's it's always about relationships and being like a normal human being with, with people and reaching out to people.
0: Yeah. One of the cool things that I actually, I don't think I've told anyone on the podcast yet. I keep doing this. I keep bringing up stuff on the podcast that I haven't told them. So it's kind nice. of cool. But in like an in-between stage where I like wasn't sure if i was going the the business route or if i was going to stay working in a job uh i actually interviewed at facebook to run all of their video production and their video marketing and because you know videography was my background but that was only because i had a fraternity brother from when i was in college who worked (laughs) there And, you know, he gave me a tour. I actually flew out to California and he brought me into the headquarters. I got to have lunch there and walk around. I saw Mark Zuckerberg's office. I actually have a picture right outside. He was having a conference call, so I couldn't bug him. But uh, it it was it was really cool and that wouldn't have happened had I not, you know, really worked the connections and asked the people that I knew if they could help me out with something. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it really just goes to show you never know how far that's going to take you, especially with you and Microsoft. I'm sure it's the same sort of deal where it was just that one person that you knew that really paved the way for the rest of the projects.
1: Exactly. Even talking to you right now is because Jason introduced us. Yeah, (laughs) totally.
0: So this has been a really great conversation. And as we're kind of circling around and bringing it in, uh, I just want to ask a little bit about your struggles. You know, becoming a business owner without any formal knowledge, there's always things that come up. You know, the big one for me was I knew nothing about accounting and finance. And boy, did I have a lot of meetings with the accountant when I first got set up. But what sort of things did you run into in creating and building a business that, uh, you know, might have caused a little bit of trouble or even just took a a little while to learn? Or, you know, maybe there was a huge lesson in, in one of the interactions with a client.
1: Yeah, I think probably the biggest lesson was just realizing that. I can like I can stand up for my expertise meaning that I don't need just because somebody's paying me doesn't mean they can walk all over me and doesn't mean that they can tell me what to do because I found that if somebody's paying me they're paying me because they think I'm an expert because I am an expert and I can I can lead the process and I can lead the discussion and I can even lead the feedback if I just Talk if I, if I kind of come across and position myself as the authority because they're paying me so I can do something that they can't, so therefore I'm the authority, so we can collaborate. It's not just them telling me what to do. That would be not fun. That, that would be so uninteresting to me is to just like have somebody, hey, Paul, design this website this way. It's like, no, you're coming to me because you understand your business, you know your audience, and you're coming to me because I know how to do my job. So the magic happens and the, the beautiful part of collaboration is the fact that there is collaboration. So I think that was probably the biggest lesson because I'm not the most like vocal guy. I'm super introverted. So, but still, like I know now that I can really easily stand up for the expertise that I have.
0: Yeah, I think that I definitely ran into that at some point, too, because, you know, providing a video service for people, there were many times in editing where they would come back and say, oh, like, can we do it this way and change these things? And I would say, well, that's going to look really bad if we do that. And then they're like, just do it. And then I would do it because I knew what was going to happen. I would show it to them. And they're like, wow, that does look really bad. I'm like, Star-wise. yeah, you just <laughs> wasted 10 hours of my time. <laughs> like, yeah. So I think that uh, one thing I found though was as I started working more and more with the clients and the people I wanted to work with not only did it pay better but they really kind of relinquished some of uh, the creative to me and said you know I want you to make this this is your job this is what you do and the funny thing was those people paid more than the people that asked for more out of me
1: yeah it's a difference between being thought of as a laborer versus being thought of as an authority and I think that's exactly what happened in your case. Same same happened in, in my case.
0: Yeah, I think that and this kind of goes back to one of the big things we talked about at the beginning is understanding, you know, what's going on internally with ourselves and taking those moments to take a break. I think that You know you really need to combine that with looking at your own self-worth and self-value and realizing that you are very good at what you do regardless of whether you fully believe it or not you can work into that but i think that uh, if you've learned a certain skill which everyone has some skill of some sort (laughs) you've probably mastered one of those skills and you've mastered it and despite what you think you're probably way better than so many other people and that's really what matters
1: Exactly. And I don't think that that action requires confidence. I think you can be afraid and act anyways. And I think that was another big thing that I learned is that I can be unsure of myself or have self doubts. And if I act anyways, the benefit is always greater than having those fears limit me from doing things that I actually want to do because there's no benefit there. Right. Right. But if if you're scared of something and you do it anyways, then there, sure, there's some risk, but the reward—that's the only time that a reward can present itself. Possibly is if you if you take a risk, anyways, in spite of the fears that you have.
0: Absolutely, and Paul, as we kind of close off the episode here, I think it's really cool to show that you know not only are you living, you're working towards a sustainable lifestyle. You know, you've talked about uh, going solar. It, it sounds like you grow a lot of your own food. And you've also built a business and you get to live on an island and do really cool things like go surfing. Uh, What are just some final closing words of wisdom for everyone tuning in who, you know, aspires to create something like that for themselves? You know, maybe they do want to live in the city, but they want to be able to work for themselves. Or maybe they aspire to be off the grid and live, you know, a totally unique lifestyle that not many get the chance to do. What would you say to them?
1: Yeah, I think what I would say to them is that it's important to listen to other people and to get advice from others, but I think we always miss the fact that we give ourselves the best advice, that we can be our own gurus, that we can listen to ourselves and find the answers. I think a lot of times asking other people for advice can be, it doesn't have to be, but can be a crutch and a procrastination tool, whereas a lot of times, because I get asked for advice daily, probably dozens of times a day. And a lot of times those people already know what the answer is. They're just looking for validation. And that's fine. I have absolutely no problem with that. But I think a lot of times if we just trust ourselves, we trust our gut, we trust the advice that we're giving to ourselves, then we can get to a place that we actually want to get to as opposed to getting to a place where other people are like following just somebody else's advice could lead you into living their life instead of your life. And that's not that's not a good thing. That's why I quit university. That's why I quit the job that I had in the beginning is because I realized I was living somebody else's life and somebody else's dreams and goals. Whereas when I started to pay attention to myself and let myself give me advice, I got to be to a point where I was actually happy with what I was doing and how I was living.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great tip is, you know, looking at if you examine the feedback you're getting from other people, if you're looking for validation in others, they're only giving it to you from their very limited scope, right? Like they've got their own fears, they've got their own negativity and other thoughts that are going to get in the way. And they're only going to tell you an answer based on their own limitation. And I think that that's not really the way to live because you're gonna limit yourself when really you could have pushed your own limits and done something great. So I think that's the best way to really live your life is much like you said, listen to your own self because you kind of already know the answer most of the time and uh, Paul it's been great having you here what's the best place for people to learn more about you I know that you work on many projects online here and I'd love for everyone to tune into what you're doing
1: Sure. So if you Google Paul Jarvis, I'm the whole, I'm the first couple pages. But really, the best way to keep up with what I do is my mailing list, the Sunday Dispatches. So, the first link in Google, if you look up my name, uh, will lead you to my mailing list. That I share an article every Sunday, no exceptions. So every single Sunday, I share an article that I've written, and it go. I don't publish those anywhere else. I just share them with my list because I like my list better than anything else. So that's probably the best place to find me. Awesome. Thanks so much
0: for being here, Paul, and uh, have fun on the island.
1: Cool. Thanks, F. Hey, everyone.
0: It's Zeph. Did you like this episode? Be sure to subscribe so that you can tune in next week and tell a friend about the show. If you want access to free training and exclusive interviews on success, happiness, lifestyle design, and adventure, visit me at yearofpurpose.com. Until next time, go out and let life surprise you so that you can live... A life rescripted.